You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. So 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be, and we're not going to read it just yet. We'll, let me give you a little bit of background uh, review before we get into the message tonight. Uh, the last uh, couple Wednesdays that I've preached, of course, the last couple weeks we've, we, we had Brother Ruckman last week, then we had, the, we had the Christmas service a couple weeks ago. So this is the first time in a few weeks that we've been back in our series um, on quieting a noisy soul or, or anxiety uh, and just the, just the noise that is in our souls. Um, it's, it's based on a book by Jim Berg um, and, uh, and just a very helpful, some very, very helpful material. And it's the first time that I preached through a series in this way. Um, but I do think that the Lord has some important things for us to learn through this. So, um, you know, there, the last couple of Wednesdays, we dealt mostly with isolating or figuring out what the noise in our soul sounds like. Uh, if you've ever uh, had a noise that you just couldn't get rid of, and you're, you're wondering um, where it's coming from and how are we going to fix it. This is a perfect illustration. The Lord brought this tonight just for this. I, I was going to talk about crickets, but this is way better. You know, There's a noise and you can't figure out where it is and you can't sleep because of it. And, and in our souls there is noise. There's anxiety, there's fear, there's worry, there, there's anger, there's and anything that shouldn't be present in our lives creates noise and it's worse than this and it's worse than a cricket in the corner of the basement that you can't track down in psalm 139 david wrote search me O god and know my thoughts and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and when he said thoughts that that literally means anxious thoughts it means disquieting thoughts that the thoughts that kill the rest in your soul in Psalm 40, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit. And, and not literally an horrible pit. Um, the definition for horrible is roar like a lion. It's roaring like the waves of the ocean. And that's what David dealt with in his soul when he was being chased by Saul and dealing with all of those things. But what does the noise sound like for us? Well, it sounds of anxiety, sounds of fear. I mean, what if something bad happens? You know, the great what if. Uh, the, those, those thoughts of worry and uncertainty. They, they can be sounds of discouragement and despair. You know, you, we say this is hope, hope, hopeless. It's, it's unfixable. I'll, I'll never come out of this. I'll never overcome this sin. No one has it as bad as me. It's always worse for me. Have you ever thought those thoughts? That's noise in your soul. Sounds of anger and frustration. You, maybe you've been hurt and you've got a wound and, and it's still open and you haven't let it become a healed scar yet. Or you're angry and you just see that the thought of a person. There's sounds of bitterness in your life or hatred that look what they did to me. If only I could get them back. You think about ways that you could enjoy the retribution and you just hope you can be there when they get what they deserve. There's sounds of lust and greed uh, the sounds of the noise is, when can I do that next? When can I look at that next? When, I, when can I be with that person next? Lust and greed, they're built on covetousness and that you want something that you don't have. It's just noise. Sounds of guilt and shame. And 
over something maybe you've done that plagues you. You have a guilty conscience that just eats away at you. There's sounds of responsibility and the roles and positions you play. I'm telling you, this is a, there's a lot of noise when you start thinking about the deadlines in your life. There's a lot of noise when you think about the projects that are coming due. There's a lot of noise when you think about uh, moms, all the, the house cleaning that has to be done. And there, there's a lot of noise when you think about all the things that, that come with the roles that you have. And they, those deadlines and those to-do lists, they can crush us, can't they? Uh, there, there, there's too many. There, you know, you can't hardly keep up with all the roles sometimes. There's sounds of obsessions and addictions. There are too many people in bondage to habits that are destroying them. Uh, physically, there are drugs and alcohol and, and self-harm is a, is a big one these days. Um, especially with young ladies um, and cutting. I mean, and you haven't dealt, I don't know if you dealt with that. Young people are cutting themselves. And there's, there, it really stems from anger somewhere. And the noise in their soul, the way to quiet the noise, they think, is to cut themselves. And the self-harm um, is, is, is a picture of something going on that's deeper. There's pornography. I mean, you name it. All of these things that are addictions that are destroying the, the souls of people. The noise uh, before the act says, come and do it. But the noise after the act says, you're going to regret this. But either way, there's noise. Then there's sounds of entertainment and recreation. And you know, too many people are constantly looking to cover up the noise with something that distracts them. The internet, the so social media... Television, sports, uh, don't, don't talk about sports. Okay, the, uh, your cell phone, you know, all of those things, honestly, are things that people are trying to use to cover up the noise. They're trying to distract themselves. And rather than deal with the noise, we drown it out with something louder. Listen, this is not the way we're supposed to live. You know, Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you. He didn't say, I'm leaving and it's going to be chaos. No, he said, peace I leave unto you, peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's Jesus Christ's view of your life. Peace. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. He says in Matthew 11, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. We are meant to live noise free. When there's noise, it disrupts everything. It distracts us. It's not the way it's supposed to be. The cure, according to Matthew 11, is to come to Jesus, no matter how beaten, no matter how burdened down, and let him bear your load. You don't have to carry it. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He says, come and be like me. Be, be humble, be meek. You know, pride is our loudest noisemaker. You know, the most noise in our soul comes when self is the biggest. Self is that personality that always has to be the loudest one in the room. And when self is big for you, self is the loudest noisemaker in your life. And, and Jesus says, now listen, come cure your noise by humbling yourself. Not being selfless, letting go of yourself and being like me. And so the first two messages were identifying what the noise might look like. But tonight, I would like to start the process of unmasking the noise. Finding the source of the noise. And I, we're going to read a couple of verses here in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 1 just for context, but focusing mostly 
on verses, on verses 2 and 3. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look what he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. So a person with noise in their soul doesn't have the peace of God. But God says there's a way to multiply the peace in your soul. Now, I want peace, but I want more than peace. I want multiplied peace. Okay, how do you get multiplied peace? Well, he says, uh, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through this means, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given us unto us all things that pertain unto life. Basically, that's saying that you have all that you need to know how to, to, to gain eternal life through Jesus Christ. But life and godliness, that's how you live once you've obtained eternal life through Jesus Christ. He says, again, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. And what we start to see here is that the answer to the noise in our souls is going to be found somehow in the knowledge of God. Somehow the noise in our soul will, will be found, uh, will the, the answer to the noise will be found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. And listen, that somehow is what I'd like to focus on uh, tonight and potentially a, a Wednesday or two after this. And it, because if it's true, then the noise in our souls is a result of not having proper knowledge of God. If peace is multiplied through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, then if you have noise in your soul, then you don't have the knowledge of God. You don't have the proper knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer to the noise in our soul. So let's start with the thought of the knowledge of God. Turn over to Romans chapter 1, please. We'll be skipping around in a few places tonight. Romans chapter 1. And this is a, a passage that many of us are familiar with, but I, I think it does present the picture of what we're looking at. To understand the knowledge of God, we need to understand the nature of truth. And, and I don't know if there's ever been a more important time in our culture, in our society, to understand truth than today. Because we live in a postmodern, some people say postmodern, I, I would venture to say maybe even post-Christian society, but postmodern implies that all truth is relative. That there, you know, there's no absolute, anything you want to believe. And you know, it's interesting because they say there's no such thing as objective truth. And do you realize how ironic of a statement it is to say that? Because they say there's no such thing as something absolute. But examine the statement. There's no such thing as absolute truth. What did they just do? They made an absolute true statement. They, they said this is an absolute truth. There is no such thing as truth. The irony is uh, that first of all the irony is they're making an absolute statement. But second of all that's not true. There is absolute truth. And everyone is looking for a way to speak their truth. And if I hear that statement one more time, I might just pull my beard out. If it was longer, it'd be easier. 
but but there, it's, there is no absolute truth. Everyone wants their truth. You have the right to speak your truth. Well, every person that lives on earth, really the only truth that is true for everyone is found in a passage like Romans chapter 1. Every person that lives on earth has been given two witnesses to the existence of God, creation and a conscience. And according to Romans chapter 1, there are some things that every one of us understands through creation and our own conscience. And this is important to remember because we might deal with some people that might even say something like this. And, and I, I hope that you'll forgive me uh, if, if this represents you or if this is something that, that is maybe indicative or a, a, maybe a label that you embrace. But some people might even say, I'm an atheist. And, and I've heard it said that there's no such thing as an honest atheist. And when I read Romans chapter 1, I tend to believe that. Now, I've met sincere people that, think, that say they're atheists, that say they don't believe in God. And I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not discounting what they think that they believe, but, but, it, but it, is, it is contrasted, it is counter to what Romans 1 teaches. See, every person, according to Romans 1, begins with the knowledge of God. Not saying that they believe with understanding God's principles or the principles of Christian living. No, they, they understand a knowledge of his existence and power. Those things can be seen by observing creation. And it's interesting in Romans 1 how many times God says that man knows something or man understands something. Look at verse 18. Romans 1 verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. He says very clearly in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed and whether or not someone admits it, and, and they might be deceived. We'll talk about that in just a moment. The Bible says that God's wrath is revealed to those who are ungodly and unrighteous. In other words, in their conscience, they may deny it. In their conscience, they may say it's not true, but the Bible says it's been revealed. In verse 19, uh, he says, Because that which may be known of God... ...is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Because that which may be known of God, he says, it's manifest. It's been shown, it's been revealed through creation. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world... ...are clearly seen, being understand, understood by the things that are made. Even, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse... And listen, this is not my strong language. This is the Bible's strong language. He says the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. They're understood. They're obvious. Even his eternal power and his Godhead so that they are without excuse. There's no excuse, he says. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified. So again, when they knew God. So do you see? It's not that they don't know God. It's not that they have no ability to have knowledge of God. It says when they knew God. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but become, became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. And that's where we see that when, when you see truth and you reject that truth, that it starts to blind you spiritually. Look at verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. 
worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. That word changed. It's interesting if you look that up um, in the Greek definition of that, of that Greek word. The definition of the Greek word is exchanged. So it's not just changed. It's exchanged. And it said, so basically, if you think of it this way, who exchanged the truth of God into a lie. So what they did was, they, there was, you can't exchange something unless you have two things to exchange. So the, the point that Paul is making here is they had truth, but they exchanged it for a lie. You can't exchange something that you don't first have. And that's the idea, that's the thought that he's getting across, is that they've exchanged. They had in their, in their minds, in their, in their hearts, they had some knowledge of a creator. It was apparent, it was clear, there was evidence, and they exchanged it. They willfully chose to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do, to do those things which are not convenient. There's more evidence. There's a willing choice, a willing denial of the knowledge of God. Look down at verse 32. Who, knowing the judgment of God. Now, again, I just want to point out how many times God in this passage says they know. They understand. It's clearly seen. It's not something hidden. Creation is not hidden. It is clearly seen. It is clearly evident. Creation and your conscience, they know. He says, that who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That they understand their accountability to God. Here's the process. They look at creation, and the creation points to a creator. I mean, you only believe, for instance, I mean, you wouldn't go walking through this field and stumble across this church building and think, well, that's an accident. You would have to think, common sense would tell you somebody built it. Somebody put it there. There's no order without somebody that ordered it. You know, and the evidence of creation points to a creator. And so if they look at creation and they say there must be a creator, oh, well, wait, I'm not going to believe that. I exchange that truth for a lie. Then their eyes are blinded, spiritually blinded. Their eyes are darkened. And the Bible says God turns them over to a reprobate mind. And then as they're turned over to a reprobate mind, then, then they don't believe it. They, they deny it. But, but if you look at creation and you say there must be a creator, um, then you must have to submit to the fact that your creator must be somebody you answer to. And I really believe that's a reason that many people look at creation and ignore the evidence. Because if they admit that there's a creator who created me, then they have to say, I have to submit to him. I have to, I have to if he's my creator, then he ha he's the boss of me. And he, he should have say in what I, how I live my life and what I do. And that's not easy for us human beings. So they see the evidence and they deny it. You know, the nature of truth is evident. It's clear and it's important we understand truth because truth is essential to quieting the noise in our souls. Because if you read this passage and you read where, what, where this took them, the, those that deny truth deal with noisy souls. The noise that these folks deal with is not noise you want to deal with. Here's a definition for you. The truth is that which corresponds to reality. 
Truth is that which corresponds to reality. So just to illustrate it, let me give you a contrast of two stories that you may have heard in the last few weeks around Christmas time. One is true and one is not. Story number one is about a large man with a red suit that's trimmed in white. And he goes around the evening of the 24th and delivers gifts to good children. And he comes down the chimney and he places the gifts under a tree and he eats most of your cookies. I think the rule is that you leave at least a partial cookie. At least that's, that's what I understood when I was a kid. He gets pulled through the sky on a sled powered by flying reindeer. And I'll just have to say, I, if, I'm sorry if your children are in here tonight and they believe in Santa, but that's not true. Well, why isn't it true? Well, first of all, I'm not sure there are enough good kids out there to warrant a position that does it full time. But second, um, if he's a man, a guy, he's not going to leave any cookies. Okay, so, so that's how we know it's not true. <laughs> Flying reindeer, maybe. Leaving cookies, no, sorry, okay. No, um, there's a place for storytelling. You know, when my kids were little, I would tell them stories before they went to bed. And I would leave, I mean, I was a master storyteller, at least in their minds, when they were little, I, I can't tell you how many times I left them crying in their beds because I was the king of cliff, cliffhangers. And I would get to the point in the story, and it's just about get to get to the good part, and I would say, and, I, I don't remember how I did it, but I would say something like, and if you want to hear the rest of it, you've got to come back tomorrow night. And just uh, start crying. It was glorious. You know, there's a place for storytelling. There's a place for fantasy. If It's just not a good place to live. I mean, it has a place, but the story of Santa Claus doesn't relate to reality. On the, on the other hand, there's a second story that maybe you heard around Christmas about a, a young virgin girl who traveled to Bethlehem and had a baby not even inside the home, had a baby around the animals potentially and placed that baby in a manger. The angels announced it to shepherds on the hillside who came and worshipped him. I mean, it's an incredible story. And that one's true, by the way. Well, why does it matter? Well, it illustrates the importance of accepting reality. Because if you're a kid, if you're seven or eight years old, and you still believe in Santa, that's okay. But if you're an adult, and, you, and you're not accepting of reality, it's not okay anymore. And you, the whole idea of noise in our souls, you say, what does that have to do with noise in my soul? Well, noise in our soul uh, is connected to our acceptance of truth. According to this, unless we get truth right, Romans 1 tells us we'll disintegrate into noise. The knowledge of God, truth, is the only way to keep the noise out. Now, here's some things about truth that, that I think we need to understand again. Nothing can be true and untrue at the same time. See, you'd be surprised how many people uh, that call themselves Christians say they believe the Bible is true, but they live as though they're not bound to it. They don't feel any obligation to live by truth. And there's really no, no different, that's really no different than a lost man who admits creation that, and points to a creator, but turns around and ignores the evidence. You know, we would say, well, that's bad for somebody who isn't a child of God and has a place in their faith in Christ to look at the evidence of creation and say, well, I think there must be a creator, but I'm going to reject that. But we as God's people say there's revelation 
from our creator. And he says, this is the way to live. And this is how we ought to be. And this is the kind of spirit that we ought to have. But when, but when we refuse to live that way, it's just like the lost man who turns his back on the evidence of creation. God reveals himself to it. And, and he expects us to live a certain way. But we turn our back to it. Uh, we can't say that something is true and then live as if it's not. Why admit something is true but live as though it's not true? That's like saying, well, God cares for everybody. But then turning around and saying, but God doesn't care for me. See, we often say, God loves the whole world. But we operate as if, but God doesn't love me. See, that's buying into fantasy. That's projecting something to God that isn't true. And the more you buy into fantasy, the more likely you are to disintegrate into the noise. Because what did they do in Romans 1? They saw God, but they glorified him not as God. They turned to their own fantasy, their own views of God, their own views of, of what life should be like, and it disintegrated into noise. It's almost like an equation. The less knowledge, the greater the noise. The less, the less knowledge of God, the greater your noise will be. Nothing can be true and untrue at the same time. And also, nothing can exist and not exist at the same time. We're talking about truth. Nothing can exist and not exist at the same time. I'm not trying to be philosophical. Some of you are thinking, well, you're just trying to sound smart. No, I, I know better than that. <laughs> I, I can't sound smart even if I try. So these, these thoughts are essential to our Christian lives. It's not just philosophy. See, Santa either exists or he doesn't exist. He either is or he isn't. Either God exists in a certain way as revealed in his scripture or he doesn't. By, and what I mean by that, if he's loving, he's always loving. Your choices don't affect God's love. Now, I'm not saying go do whatever you want because God is love and he overlooks it. No, if you choose poorly, God still loves you. He loves you enough to have there be consequences in your life to turn you around from those choices so that you can make better choices in the future. But some people look at God's punishment and say, well, God just doesn't love me. No, God doesn't love you if he lets you continue in your sin. No, if God is loving, he's always loving in spite of your choices. If God is powerful, then he's always powerful, no matter what your circumstances are right now. See, we're really good at saying God is powerful. God is all power. He's omnipotent. Amen. And then a disaster or tragedy comes into our lives. And that's the first truth we forget. Oh, he's all powerful. Just, just not for me. No, he's either all powerful or he's not. You, we say, well, you know, if he's, if he's just, he's always just. If he is righteous and just, he always is. Even if something happened in your life and you think that's not fair. No, God's always just or he's not. See, most of our noise problems, and this is very important, most of our noise problems, uh, most of our issues with guilt and, ang and anxiety and anger and despair, they are rooted in the fact that we say we believe something about God, but we live as though it's not true. Noise comes when we live with an imaginary God that doesn't exist in the way we perceive him to exist. Uh, just illustrated about 13 years ago, I was just doing the math 13, 14 years ago. This building did not exist as it does now. And it was just a field. It was wide open. 
And many of you remember it. I, I didn't see it as a field, but many of you do. And I could be telling you about this building. And, and you might say, well, I walked through that, that property back in 2008. Maybe it's been a while. Back in 2008, I didn't see a building. I mean, I even ran through that field. And, I, you know, like the dog walkers still, just without a care in the world, all through the property. No doggy bags or anything. I mean, there's living life. No, I, I didn't see a building. Well, that's fine. But if you try to run through this field as if there's not a building now, you're going to break your nose or worse. See, this building exists. It can't exist and not exist at the same time. And what I'm saying is that, that it's a picture of what many people, how they treat the Lord and that they say, well, I don't believe God exists, so I'm going to do whatever I want and I'm just going to live life how I want. Well, but just because you believe that God doesn't exist doesn't mean you're not going to run into something that reminds you that he does. And you cannot escape it forever. God is real. He exists. Either he exists or he doesn't. And I believe God's word and he does exist. For those thinking, well, this is dumb. Nobody really believes like that. Except many people, God's people, operate this way when it comes to what they believe about God. We say we believe God exists the way that he revealed himself in Scripture to exist. But we live as though it's not true. We, we say, well, there's no, you know, I don't believe there's a building. So we live like there's not a building. But there is. You know, this is where the noise in our lives come from. According to the verses that we read in Peter, knowledge of God multiplies our peace. If you want multiplied peace in your life, which peace to me is the opposite of anxiety and fear and despair and anger. Peace. If you want multiplied peace in your life, then a rejection of the knowledge of God will take you down the path of Romans 1. Down a path of noise. And before you discount this, this is more than philosophy. It literally affects how we live before God. I mean, just think about Romans 1. If we don't accept what is clearly true, then we won't be able to, according to this, glorify God as we're supposed to. We won't be able to bring God glory with our lives. So this affects how we live. I mean, if we say that God is love, but we build a fantasy world in our minds, an imaginary God in which, though he doesn't love me then this, that will change how you live before him because it changes how much glory your life can bring him, according to Romans 1. If you know God in a certain way and you reject that, live it another way, then you cannot bring him glory like you're supposed to. You know, I, know, I know plenty of people that have, would affirm God is love. But if you ask them to say God loves me, they would struggle with that. Uh, they have no problem singing, The love of God, how rich and pure. But they might struggle singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. See, whether or not it's because of some sin or some regret or some failure to meet some standard in your, in your mind or you just don't view yourself as lovable. Listen, this is where the danger comes because we allow what is actually true about God to be exchanged for an imaginary God. And according to Romans 1, if what you believe about God is different than the reality of God, you will likely gravitate toward what you believe over what is true. And if you, don't read, if you read Romans 1, that will lead you to a life of noise. This is the danger of unbelief, which we'll get more into next time. But for now, I just want to deal with the knowledge of God. If the loudness of the noise in your life is directly connected... 
to your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. That we must determine, friends, to know God more. If you've got a noisy life, according to 2 Peter, it's probably because you don't know God like you're supposed to. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. I want to look at an Old Testament and a New Testament example here as we begin to wrap up. If you ever say as a preacher, I'm, I'm going to wrap up here, people check out. So I'm said, I said begin to wrap up, okay? Not quite there yet. It, not in closing yet. Jeremiah 9, these verses are awesome, by the way. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament, one of the major prophets. Jeremiah 9, 23, look what it says. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. See, the wise and the strong... And the rich, they're glorying in what they think is pretty important stuff. But that's not what God delights in. See, compared to knowing God, all the stuff that you can have, your power, your riches, uh, your wisdom, uh, compared to knowing God, that stuff is really nothing. The best thing that you can do is know God. Because when you know God, you recognize his attributes. Like he uses loving kindness and, and judgment and righteousness. When you know God, you remember what he's like. You're convinced that he's like what he says he's like. You see, when you, the contrast is here. When you don't pursue the knowledge of God, you tend to glory in the things that can't possibly satisfy you. Like riches and wisdom and strength. And what happens? Well, you find yourself missing God's voice because of the noise. Look how strong I am. Look how rich I am. Look how wise I am. And all the while, the knowledge of God is really the only thing you should be glorying in. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. This is a New Testament example of this same truth of knowing God. In this case, he says knowing Christ. Peter, you said knowing God and our Lord Jesus. Look at Philippians chapter 3. In verse 7. Wait for everyone to get there. Philippians chapter 3. It says in verse 7. But what things were gained to me. Those I counted lost for Christ. What a passage. Yea doubtless and I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the what? Knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may, what? 
know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And he goes on with this, uh, this amazing passage um, of writing. But I think what we need to come down to is focus on the fact it's very clear to Paul that his life's greatest accomplishment was knowing Christ. He did a lot of amazing things for God. But his greatest act was the knowledge of his Savior. And you say, well, okay, well, that's fine for Paul. No, listen, can you imagine the kind of noise that Paul, that Paul lived with? I mean, just if we're talking about noise being anxiety and fear and, and worry and, and despair. I mean, if anybody could have felt all of those things, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, can you, if people were out, so let's just ask you this. Let's suppose that every town you went into, every time you went into a synagogue, every time you went in, into a public market, every time that you went into a town and you were preaching the gospel, every time you did that, there would be a group of people that would set out, that would set out to kill you everywhere you went. And they, that you didn't know the next day when you woke up what kind of persecution, what kind of suffering, what kind of pain that you would be waking up to. Do you think that would give you anxiety? I mean, if people surrounded your home at night and they were threatening your family, I mean, you, can you imagine the kind of anxiety that would induce in us? Well, that's what Paul lived with. I mean, and some of us get anxious just going outside but now picture an angry mob that wants you dead. That's the kind of situation that Paul lived with every day. So let me ask you, what kind of noise would Paul have faced? Do you think that fear could have been a problem for Paul based on his life situation? Yes or no? Yes. Do you think anxiety could have been a problem for Paul based on his life situation? Absolutely. Do you think that worry could have been a problem for Paul based on his life circumstances? Absolutely. Fear, anxiety, worry, despair, the kind of things that he dealt with and was persecuted for, for following Jesus Christ, I mean, that, would have, that could have been so much noise in his life. But we don't really ever see Paul writing about the noise because he countered it with something very important here in Philippians 3. You know what he said? I'm going to know Jesus. The knowledge of God. To know him. That I may know him. Because the more he knew, the more you know Christ, the quieter the noise gets. So I'm asking you tonight, are the sounds of noise, are they loud in your soul? Do you have feelings of guilt? Over something that you've done? It eats away at you. Are there feelings of anxiety? Well, what if, what if, what if? Are there feelings of anger and you just seethe over something? Is there despair? I don't see a way out of this. Is there worry? I mean, how are we going to pay that bill? Another one just came in. Is there bitterness? Can't believe they did that to me. Is there some kind of lust? Some addictive habit? Is there envy? What does your noise, though, say about your knowledge of God? Because they're connected and you might say, well, I know God. I've been saved a long time. That's not the same as knowing God. To know about God is not the same as knowing God. 
I mean, you may know a lot about your favorite, favorite public figure, but that doesn't mean you know your favorite public figure. Some athlete or, or musician or actor or politician that, you know, that you follow and you feel like you might know a lot about them, but if you, just because you know about them doesn't mean you've ever met them. Maybe you were raised in church and you know a lot about Jesus Christ and you know the facts and you even know where to turn to when somebody says turn to Jeremiah 9 or Philippians chapter 3 and you know a lot about, about Jesus. But do you know Jesus? Is there an actual relationship? Have you met him? You can. He's available to be met tonight by faith, by the way. You acknowledge your sin. You know that you're a sinner. You know that your sin uh, separates you from God. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. His death on the cross is our way to be redeemed. He died in your place as a substitute. Even though we're sinners, he died for us. You can know him. You can meet him tonight. And maybe you met him a long time ago, but your relationship with Christ has turned to like a fun book of facts. You know a lot about him, but there's not a lot of personal knowledge. Well, if you, it could be that you're saved and you've got a lot of noise. And if that's true, it's probably because rather than living to know Christ, you know a lot about him. Or maybe you're living for other priorities. And your life priority is not to know Jesus Christ. Well, according to Romans 1, a lack of knowledge will make your life disintegrate into noise. And according to Paul, living to know Christ is the only way to overcome that disintegration process. List your life priorities. Okay, just pay attention just for a minute here. You. List your life priorities. What's the most important thing to you? What do you live for? If someone was to look at your life and say, okay, if I'm going to list your priorities based on the evidence of the time that you spend in your week, the things that you talk about during the week, the, the activities that you engage in, the things that you don't do, they all point to something. So I'm asking if someone was just to look at the evidence of your life, where would knowing Christ fit on your scale of important things? Is it anywhere near the top? You say, well, I think knowing Christ on my list of priorities, on the ladder of priorities, knowing Christ is like three or four, so it's pretty good. Well, uh, according to the Apostle Paul, it should be the very top rung. And if it's not at the very top, if knowing Jesus Christ is not the most important thing to you, then you likely either have lots of noise or noise is about to begin. How much importance do you place on knowing him? Because it's literally the most important thing you can do with your life. I look at these young people and I think about all they could do for the Lord. And I get excited. I'm excited about this group right here. It makes me happy to see him sitting here and, and engaging. And I mean, whether or not you're listening, you, you're looking like you're listening at least right now. Good job. Okay. Excellent. I get excited about what the Lord could do with them. 
But you know, if none of them ever go preach a message, but every one of them in 20 years, if I was to gauge their life priorities, and at the very top, the top rung was to know Jesus, for every one of them, I wouldn't care if they ever went into ministry or did anything for God big. If their life priority is to know Christ, that's fine with me. Now, I think if they pursue the knowledge of Christ, God's going to call, and he already has some of them, to work and give him their lives. And I can't wait to see that either. But if you're going to do that, you can't just jump into ministry and think, well, that solves all the problems. No, even in ministry, knowing Christ has still got to be the top rung. And even if, you're, if you work construction and you just go faithfully to church, knowing Christ, top rung. If you just teach a Sunday school class, and I say just, you know, I'm not saying it's less important. If all you ever do for God is teach a Sunday school class faithfully, but top rung, knowing Christ, that's all we're asking. And you know, the thing is, they don't have to wait till they're as old as you or me to know him. Because if he's revealed himself through creation and a conscience to people that are lost, how much more to these young people who are saved and have God's word? He wants us to know him. That's, that's, that's what, I mean, he's made it possible for every one of us to know him. And so tonight, I'm just saying, we just need to know the, know the Lord. We need knowledge of God. I was thinking about a real creative way to say this. Know Christ. No noise. Know Christ. No noise. If the knowledge of Christ is connected to the noise in our lives, then I want to know Jesus because I don't want noise. I want to know him so I don't have to stay up at night worrying about this, fretting over that, angry about this, anxious over that, fearful about this, in despair over that. No, if you seek to know God and know Jesus, and that's your life priority, according to Philippians 3, even Paul, who faced all kinds of noise-inducing situations, even he can say, listen, my life is good because I'm seeking to know Christ. And all the things that I thought were really important, they're all gone. I've lost all of them. But that's okay because I know Jesus. I'm telling you, our priority is to know Christ. The greater the knowledge of Christ, the less the noise in your soul. Do you know him? Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.